Well, it's our five-year anniversary. It's an, uh, yeah. It is an absolute miracle that we're still here. I'm telling you. It really is. So many crazy. I was like writing out a little Facebook post, and it was like, oh, we've survived hurricanes and transitions and a few scandals here and there. And I was like, how do we do this? I don't even know. Um, I'm glad we did. It uh, shows that God's at work. And, and for our five-year anniversary, uh, I get to... Uh, I get to do what I want to do. And what I want to do is I want to tell some of my favorite Bible stories. And so I've preached on all of these before, but there's a reason that I want to preach on these again. And so we're in our identity series, God Is. And so I hope as I preach on some of my favorite Bible stories that we'll get an idea of who God is in our lives, in the life of the church, and in big life, and in the world. All right? So they're going to be stories you've heard before. The first one I'm going to tell is a story called Noah's Ark. How many people have heard Noah's Ark before? Yeah. <laughs> Just heard of it. There's this big flood, right? And why is there a big flood? I'll tell you why. It happens in Genesis 6. It says this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made the human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. That's what my wife and I were saying about our kids a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I kid, I kid, which makes it so crazy that God would say that, right? Anyway, so yeah, there's this giant flood. But as we know in this giant flood story, we know that one family saved, and it's Noah's family, right? Noah's family gets saved. And, uh, and we also know that God was like, the animals didn't do anything wrong. I'm going to put two by two in the boat, and I'm going to save them as well. Now, that's how the story goes, right? We all know it in a nutshell. Here's the really interesting part of the story to me. Do you know that if you look back at any Near Eastern culture, which Israel was a part of Near Eastern culture, every single culture that you find in the Near East had a flood story. Every single one. So African tribes had flood stories. Egypt had their own flood story. The Sumerians had a flood story. The Babylonians had a flood story called the Epic of Gilgamesh. That's a cool name, right? Like lots of different flood stories, right? So we're not the only flood story that there is. So what is going on here? Well, there's probably something that happened. Most people think something happened on the Nile. And because there's no weather channel, there's no Google Maps, they're trying to make sense of what happened. So what they say is they say they're gods, and there's plenty of gods, right? Not just our God, that the Israel God, but there's all these other gods, and the gods got angry. And because the gods got angry, this flood happened. Now, almost every single story, almost every single one, says at the end, and if you mess up again, I will flood the earth again. That's what every single story, almost every single story says. There's only one story, one flood story that does not say that. Which one is it? God says to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, and all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all my life be destroyed by waters of a flood, Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. See, what happens here is the rest of the cultures are going, my God is so angry and so wrathful that if, and my God so powerful that if we mess up again, God's going to hurt us again. We're going to get flooded again. And yet the Israel God, the, our God, the God we worship goes, I'm not going to do this to you again. And so even though there's tragedy, what is God doing here? God is disrupting the culture with God's grace. Grace is a disruptive force. In fact, grace is such a disruptive force, it is a, pre, a progression that goes against the culture of, a, of the day. 
that asks the reader to have the courage or asks us to have the courage that God is far more gracious than we could ever imagine. Grace, God's grace, is disruptive. It disrupts cultures. It does it all the time. In fact, there was this really fat king named Eglon. Isn't that a good fat king name? Your, your name's Eglon. You're a fat king. And Eglon is this fat king who takes over Israel. Now, why does Eglon take over Israel? Well, God made a covenant with Israel. And he said, Israel, if you keep the covenant, things will be good. If you don't keep the covenant, things are going to go downhill quickly. In fact, I'm going to forget you. And so uh, if you were here a couple weeks ago, I preached on this covenant, and I want to remind us what God says will happen if you break the covenant. It says, the Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven. You will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on the earth. Your carcasses will be food for the birds and the wild animals. There will be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will afflict you with boils of Egypt, with tumors, sores, the itch from which you cannot be cured. Thanks be to God. So this is what happens, right? This is what happens uh, when you break the covenant. God says, if you obey me, good. If you don't obey me, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. And so this is what we get. It says, Israel, they were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man. Uh, and there's a great story there. You should read it. Uh, it's in Judges. Uh, but what's interesting to me, the part that's interesting, is the part that says, again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. Again. The first time the Israelites cried out to the Lord was when they were enslaved by Egypt. So they're enslaved by Egypt, and they cry out, and God saves them. God brings them a deliverer, Moses, right? But then the covenant happens. And the covenant says, you do what I, want, I ask you to do, you're fine. You break my covenant, I forget about you. But we get this word again. So I started exploring. I'm like, how many times did the Israelites cry out to the Lord? You know, in the book of Exodus alone, the Israelites cry out to the Lord 14 times. 14 different times in one book, they break the covenant. And you know what God does every single time? Brings a deliverer. Every single time. God does not keep the covenant. There are dozens more times that Israel gets itself into trouble. They break the covenant again. God's supposed to forget them. God's supposed to go, I'm done with you. It's over. And Israel cries out again, and again, God brings a deliverer. If God was a parent, which I guess in some respect God is a parent, but if God was a parent, he'd be a terrible parent, right? Like, where's the consistency? Like, you get punished, you're not allowed to watch TV. All right, go ahead and watch TV. Like, this is sort of what's going on in some ways here. God, what's God doing? God is saying there's a progression in my life, and the progression is that when you do wrong, uh, I'm not going to, to forget you or forsake you. I'm actually going to, to love you above the law, okay? So it's love above law, because what's going on? It's grace. And what is grace? God's grace is disruptive, it's disruptive. It disrupts the culture and the context. It disrupts God's followers and asks them to have the courage, the courage to believe that God is far more gracious than we could imagine. That's what God is doing here. And it's so disruptive, in fact, it's so incredibly disruptive that, that people can't handle it. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible dedicated to the fact that people can't handle God's disruptive grace. It's called Jonah. You ever hear the book of Jonah? Anybody? You can, yeah? Okay, cool. Good, I'm glad, good. And Jonah's not about the fish. How many people think it's about the fish? I'm about to tell you, the fish is the least interesting part of the story, okay? Because Jonah, uh, there's these Assyrians, and the Assyrians attack Israel, and they do some nasty things, like really bad things to the people of Israel. They, uh, they rape their women. 
They enslave their children. They kill their men. And so if you have people who are being raped in your family, and if you have children who are being enslaved in your family, and if you have men who have been killed in your family, what is your reaction? Your reaction is to do what? Your reaction is to say, you know what, I want that person dead. I want justice. And so that's how Jonah feels because one of the worst cities, the cities that's the most culpable for this is this city called Nineveh. And Nineveh, they were the worst of the worst. They were raping, killing, enslaving, and it was awful. And so Jonah's like, God, they need justice. And God goes, I know. I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell them uh, that they need to ask forgiveness. And Jonah's like, no, they need to be killed. And God goes, no, 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 no. I want to give them a second chance. Go tell them that they need to ask forgiveness. And Jonah goes, no, why would I do that? Imagine us going into a prison where somebody had hurt our family in such a terrible way and going in and saying, hey, I just want you to ask for forgiveness and it'll all be cool. How many of us would actually do that? Not me. So no wonder, no wonder that, 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 that Jonah goes the other way. Jonah goes the other way and that's when the fish comes and the fish swallows him. The fish spits him back close to Nineveh. And so he goes to Nineveh, he goes, hey, you guys are wrong. And all the Ninevites are like, we are wrong, you're right. And they all repent. And God says, good, you're all fine with me then. That's how the story goes. Can you imagine being in that jail to the people who have raped your, your, your woman family member, the person who has enslaved your children, the person who has killed the male family members and saying, ask for forgiveness. And they go, you're right, I did the wrong thing. And you go, okay, well, your jail sentence is commuted then. You can walk away free. That's the gravity. In fact, it's so big that this is the um, subtitle in my Bible. In my Bible, this is the subtitle uh, of the next passage. It says, Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. That's what it is. Jonah's angry, right? And Jonah finally gets it, and he finally goes, okay, God, oh, it's all good. You know, uh, we finally figured out. No. You want to know what Jonah's last words in his, his story is? These are Jonah's last words. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Those are his last words. Why? Because God's grace is so disruptive. God's grace disrupts people to the point that their anger consumes them and they wish they were dead because it disrupts a culture and it disrupts community and it begs Christ's followers to have courage that God is far more gracious than we could ever imagine. That's why. Jesus shows up. How many people know who Jesus is? He's walking around and he's supposed to save the people from the Roman Empire. And I, I'm, I feel like I exhaust this idea of the Roman Empire, but it's so important to the culture and the context of scripture. So you guys know, if you've been coming at all to this church, uh, that there's a, a really forceful empire and in this empire, Caesar is Lord. And so if you're not pronouncing that Caesar is Lord, you could be killed, you could be beaten, you could be hurt. And this centurion comes up to Jesus. Now who are the centurions? The centurions were like the Navy SEALs of the Roman Empire. They were, they were nimble, they were quick, they were fierce. Um, they usually had 100 men underneath them, okay? And a lot of times it was the centurions who would come up to someone and say, Caesar is Lord, and beat you if you didn't say that back, okay? They were a fierce person. And this Roman centurion comes up to Jesus, and Jesus has all these followers that are there, and all the followers are like, this is it. This is the person Jesus has saved us from, right? And this is, this is, Jesus is saving us from the Roman Empire. And so there's a standoff, right? The centurion on one side and Jesus on the other side. It's like the, the, um, you know, the dust balls are blowing through and stuff. It's like the whistling. You know, do the whistle. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's like that whistle. And, and then the centurion says this. The centurion says this. He says, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus says to him, shall I come and heal him? 
The centurion replies, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes, and that one come and he comes. I say to my service, servants, do this, and he does it. So what does Jesus do? Jesus has got a choice to make. This is the enemy. So Jesus goes, no, there's no way I'm going to save you. We've come to destroy the likes of you. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure you're paying attention. <laughs> Jesus says this. He says, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, and I will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is Jesus saying here? He heals this servant. He heals him. And he says, you, you are the enemy and as the enemy, you get what I'm doing. You understand that I'm here to bring disruption to the way that we do work. And he says, there are people that are standing behind me, the, my followers, the religious people. And these religious people, they don't quite get the disruption yet. They, they have too much of a religious conviction. And there's going to come a time where they think they're eating with, with the, their heroes. But the truth of the matter is they're losing it. They're going to mourn when they realize the kingdom isn't what they think it is. You get it. You understand that the kingdom, my grace, is a disruption. It asks you to progress through culture and to move beyond. It asks you to have the courage to think and to say that God is more gracious than could ever be imagined. You get that disruption. That's what Jesus is saying. We're in our identity series, God is. God is more gracious than we could ever imagine. God's grace is so incredible that it is a disruption. It turns us upside down. It puts law down here and it puts people up here. And it takes your enemy and it makes that enemy your brother and sister. That grace, it says that you who have done wrong and feel shame are elevated to the highest place. And you who are at the highest place are at the lowest place. It turns the world upside down. God's grace is a disruption. God's grace begs us to have the courage that God is more gracious than we could ever imagine. But the problem is we don't necessarily have that courage. And so God goes, what can I do to show them how gracious I am? What can I do to show them that I don't care about the, the festivals and the feasts and the burnings and the offerings? And he goes, there's only one way to do it. I'm going to show my ultimate grace by Christ on the cross. Christ on the cross to show that my grace is disruptive. And a resurrection to show that my grace remains and never changes and that this story, this story that says you, we are progressing in such a way that we have to have the courage that God is more gracious than we could ever imagine, that it never ends. That story never ends. And it certainly doesn't end after Jesus' death and resurrection because we got this guy Peter. He's a disciple. Do we know Peter, the disciple? Some of us do. Peter's sitting on a roof one day and all of a sudden the sheet from heaven comes down and on the sheet from heaven are all these foods that Peter has not ever eaten in his life, okay? They're all these animals. And Peter's a guy from Capernaum. Now Capernaum is like straight, you observe the law, all right? If you are at Capernaum, not only do you not eat these foods, but you don't hang out with people who do eat these foods. And so the sheet comes down from heaven and the sheet says, Peter, take and eat, and it's God. And Peter goes, no. And God goes, why? And he goes, because you taught me not to eat anything unclean. Can you imagine arguing with God about your religious convictions? <laughs> That's what Peter's doing. He's arguing with God about his religious convictions. Peter says this to him. Uh, Peter says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. But, but stop and think about that for a moment. 
arguing with God about religious convictions. That's what grace does to us. It's so disruptive that our religious convictions become something we hang on to because we can't grasp the idea of God's grace. And so we grasp on to beliefs and we grasp on to rules and we grasp on to this over here because there's no way we can fathom God's unbelievable grace. And that's where Peter's at. He goes, I can't eat that. I can't fathom the fact that you would even let me eat this. Is this a trick? Like you see him doing that stuff and all of a sudden these people show up at his house and they're people who um, he's not supposed to hang out with. And they're like, hey, we don't know why we're here, but some spirit sort of just brought us here. And Peter goes, ah, I get it. I get it. God's grace is so disruptive. It's disruptive. It begs us to move past culture and context, and it begs us to have the courage to believe that God is far more gracious than we could ever imagine. And that grace is still happening today. Now we have a choice when it comes to that grace. I think we see it play out in a lot of ways. When God says, I want you to have courage to move beyond the culture and context of where you're at right now, and I want you to to move forward with me, progress with me. Let's see how we can continue this disruption. A lot of us go, no, but my my religious convictions, my religious convictions, don't mess with them, please. I'm comfortable. This is easy. That's what we do. So we sort of forget about that disruption, and we keep going with what we know with our platitudes. A lot of us just ignore it, right? We just ignore the disruption. That disruption's not real. God's not really speaking to me. I, I'm too afraid, but what if somebody says I'm wrong? Or what if somebody says I'm not Christian anymore? And we have times in the Bible where people had to have the courage over and over and over again to embrace that disruption and allow God to do work that literally changes the course of history. And then we have a whole group of people who are like, you know what? I hear the disruptions, I feel them, I think I should be moving in a more progressive, loving, you know, inclusive way, and I don't know what to do about that, and so I'm just going to throw out my Christianity altogether, because if I throw it out altogether, at least I don't have to be associated with it, and I'll just do it over here. And so we're affiliated with the nuns, you know, the rise of the nuns, not the nuns, the nuns, the census nuns, I struggled with that one, census nuns. (laughs) Anyway, my point is this. My point is this, we're at a crossroad here. We are at a crossroads. We're at a crossroads where we are being asked by God, by the Spirit, do you have the courage to be disruptive? Do you have the courage to be so gracious that you are disrupting the very nature of what's happening around you? Do you have the courage to be so loving that people are actually angry with you? Do you have the courage to stand against oppression in such a way where people are yelling at you and telling you that you are not human? Do you have that kind of courage, that kind of disruption? Do you have the courage? Do you have the courage to tell someone you are not full of shame? You're actually loved beyond anything you could imagine. Do you have the courage to tell yourself that you are not full of shame, that you are loved beyond anything you could ever imagine? That's where we're headed next. And our church, we're five years old, our church was started, I'd like to think we were started on disruption, because we started with this idea that said, hey, we're more interested in asking good questions than having right answers, right? That's some of the stuff we used to say at the beginning, and it's some of the stuff we still say. And what I think we were saying was, hey, we're ready. We're ready for whatever disruption is going to come our way. We're ready to hear that. And it's been hard along the way, hasn't it? It's been difficult. Along the way, we've had people who went, no, I need way more certainty, 
Or people have said, no, I, I, need, I need the laws. I need that stuff in place. That's what helps me. And I don't think I can deal with, with this, you know, progression, this floating around, this, this grace, this disruption. I can't do it. But there's been so many of you, and I love it, and it's saved my life. And I'm not kidding when I say that. There's been so many of you who have said, I have no idea what's happening here. <laughs> but something's happening here. The spirit is moving here. I'm super disrupted, and I'm just going to keep doing this. And that's who our church is. That's what our church is. Our church has had the courage to say, you know what? This grace is really disruptive. And yeah, there's a sheet that's come down, and oh my gosh, I'm scared to death. But you know what? I'm going to say yes anyway because change is coming. And oh my gosh, I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm going to cry out again even though I think I messed up. And you know what? God's going to hear me because there is a change that happens. It's coming. And oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. I don't know what to do. There's my enemy across the way. And then all of a sudden God says, have, have courage. That enemy is going to become your brother or sister. And every time we say, okay, this church, when that sheet drops, we have the courage. We say, okay. And once we stop saying okay, it's probably time to shut down the church. This is what our church is. Our church is called to be the disruption. Our church is called to be the progression that goes against the culture. Our church is the, the church that, that asks each of us and everybody outside that's going to go to Atlantic Atlantic and eat weird food, right? We're going to tell everyone to have the courage that God can be way more gracious and way more progressive than they could ever, ever imagine. When they say, how do you know? Say, I know because I've taken those crazy steps in courage and it's a mess, but it makes all the difference in the world. And so for the next five years... Let's be disruptive, like really disruptive. Let's bother people. Let's get people a little bit upset. And at the end of the day, let's do it because you ultimately see God's grace and God's love and God's compassion and God's justice. And that makes all the difference. Amen? Why don't we pray? God, I'm thankful for this church and I'm thankful for the calling you've given us. Thank you for the courage that you've given us, and I pray that we don't relent. I pray that we continue to be courageous. We continue to announce that you are God and that you are good and that you are gracious, and we continue to point to your son on the cross, and that we continue to point to your son as he's resurrected, and we continue to point to your son, the Spirit. We say, God, you are at work doing things that we can never imagine. God, allow us to be that church that moves this culture forward. Let us be your hands and feet. And Lord, let us honor you every step of the way. We pray this in your name. Amen.